Hey, everybody, it's Pastor Brian Mixon with the Thompsonville Church of God in Thompsonville, Illinois, and the Regeneration Church of God in Salem, Illinois. Speaking with a wonderful man of God, Brother Michael Livingood. They're getting ready to have services with us. We're going to be February 24th in Salem, Illinois on the 25th, 26th, and 27th. We will be in Thompsonville, Illinois. Uh, we have been, as most of you know, in a long-term uh, revival, a move of God. And Brother Livingood is coming to us and just going to follow the Holy Ghost and what the Lord uh, has placed on his heart. And, uh, we just want you to be invited out for this and to come out. Do not miss uh, these services. You can find information on Facebook as well. And um, everybody needs to come and be part of this. We don't care what church denomination you belong to. We don't care if you go to church. Uh, in fact, for those who may not be going to church and hearing this, we would love for you to come. I can promise you that you're going to know you feel welcome when you show up to the place. Amen. I, I remember in Bible college that there was almost this um, this thing that was going around that you know a real preacher didn't tell stories yeah. you know it wasn't spiritual and so I, I kind of labored under that right. you know for a lot of years and and I'm not sure at what point it dawned on me that Jesus was the storyteller yes. you know so much what he did was yeah. tell stories yeah. and that stories and, and I'll, I'll say this you know to from training preachers that you don't do a, a sermon for the excuse to tell a particular story, but the stories become the windows. Mm -hmm. They let the light in. They give the understanding. This is the practical application. So it's one thing to say God meets all of our needs. It's another thing when you tell the story of down to your last slice, slice of bread. bread. Yeah, and he just keeps bread coming. And he keeps the bread coming out. And then after he's done that for a season, now he, then he sends, yes. you know, and so whether it's the, you know, the manna yeah. that he supplies until he brings him across, yeah. you know, the Jordan River. Yeah. And now he says, okay, now I brought you into the land yeah. that you're going to live in. So the man is not going to be here because now you're going to have the grapes and the, right. you know, and the olives and all of the, and the honey and all of that. But I can do the manna. Yeah. You know, and that reminder that if it's if it's the last slice of bread, yeah. you know, or the moments that God brings the the heathen guy from down the street, you know, and and he says, I, I forgot I'm supposed to do this. I grew up, you know, I knew I'm supposed to tithe. I, I you know, and yeah. and we need we need to hear those stories. Our, our young preachers need to hear those stories. Our people, our churches need to hear because those flesh out what the scripture says. We read the promise and I hear somebody who's lived it out. Here's something they have seen God do. And I, I, think, I think we need those moments. I think we're in danger at some level of losing that part of our history. You know, if we, if we don't tell, you know, those type of stories. And in fact, something that Linda and I have, I, I've done a little bit of this, Paul, online, and we're going to do more of it. Um, Linda and I have read books to each other over the years. Sometimes driving down the road, she reads a book to me, and sometimes at, if we go to sleep at night, I'll read to her. So we have on our shelves a bunch of these old missionary stories. 
I never read these books, okay? They were books that in Linda's mom's library, my dad's library, and I ended up with a book somehow. And so we you know, were putting together you know, our, our library in our, in our cabin and got looking at those books, and so we started reading some of the missionary books to each other. And it's like, there's a whole generation that doesn't know these type of stories. And we need to read these stories. There's another generation. So, did you ever meet Fred Aguilar? I, Fred was listening in. And I was doing this book. Now, somebody, a guy had actually given me this book in Czech Republic. We were preaching in Czech Republic at this event a few years ago. And we were introduced to the former national leader, okay, the Assemblies of God, who had spent time in prison for the sake of the gospel. And so, you know, bonafide, this guy knows what it is. Very legit, you know, sort of stuff. So he gives us this little book, it's his life story. And so I get reading it, you know, and reading, and Fred comes on and he just says, man, you know, what an incredible, I'm looking forward to every night. In fact, you're gonna read more of this, but just begin with it, yeah, there are stories out there. There are. There are, yeah. that are people need to hear. We were, okay, here's one. If I can get through this one. We were preaching, I, I put it this, we are so far back in the mountains of the Philippines, we're coming out the other side. Okay, we literally, we had crossed over the, the highest point in the northern Filipino mountains in the road system. Yeah. And so we have a picture of ourselves at that sign, you know, the highest elevated, you know, paved road in the Philippines. And preaching this three-day preacher's thing back there. And there's this, every morning they take us to this little place of business, and back in the back, they have fixed breakfast for us. And the lady would do, as Filipino ladies do, she'd fix the breakfast and disappear. Linda is determined, I am going to thank her. So the last morning, Linda manages to catch her before she can get gone and says to her, thank you. Thank you for preparing food for us, you know, and, and the two Filipino pastors, thank you. She said, oh, I can never forget you. And Linda's like, you could never forget us. We've like never been here before, you know. And, and the lady says, 1999, Baguio, the very first time that you guys came to preach in the Philippines at that conference, my husband and I were two of those that got saved oh, wow. in that conference. Wow. Today, we are elders in this church. Wow. We could never forget you. And I've said to people, Man. ask me, why? Yeah. You get on an airplane yeah. and ride in uncomfortable seats. You know, ask me why you sit on a Filipino mountain bus. You don't even want to know how much speed the driver is on. <laughs> you know, you just, you know. I said, ask me why you do that. Yeah. You know, I said, there's, you know, or, or the moments. The young preacher after a conference said to me, "Can I get my photo taken with you?" I said, "Yeah, sure." And so we do. And then I said to him, "I said, how'd you get saved?" He said, the very first conference that you preached here in the Philippines, I got saved. He goes, and then two years after that, the next conference that you preached, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of the next conferences you preached, I got called to preach. 
and I have now finished Bible college and I'm pastoring my first church. You are my spiritual father. You know, it's like, okay. All I did was preach. Right. You know, that's it's all any of us do. Right. You know, or, or it's like, okay, here's what blew my mind. I am with a group of young people from Kentucky, and we are in, we're in, uh, I remember, was it, whether it was Argentina or Ecuador. It was Ecuador on this one. No, it was Argentina and Argentina on this one and uh, Sunday afternoon service or the Sunday morning service we've gone into after service are feeding us the, the team of young people in the fellowship hall so we're sitting down to eat and this Argentine girl comes in and she begins to speak to us perfect English begins to say the Father the Lord wants to thank you for coming to Argentina he wants you to know he appreciates you coming I'm sort of like, yeah, yeah, thank you, that's nice. Come on, let's eat, I'm hungry. Right. And the missionary says, you don't understand what's happening. I'm like, yeah, sure I do. He said, no, he goes, this girl does not speak English. She's in the spirit. This girl does not speak English. She does not understand English. I have been her pastor here for 14 years. She just got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She does not have a clue what she is saying. She is in the spirit. Now they've got, now it's got my attention, okay? Right. Now, like, <laughs> yeah. now I'm playing it back. Lord wants to say to you, thank you for coming to Argentina. He wants to say he appreciates it. And I'm like, Lord, it's not like a big deal. You know, we raised a couple of thousand dollars. We sat on an airplane for a few hours. It wasn't that uncomfortable. We sat on an airplane for a few hours. It's not like we came from heaven to earth yeah. it's not like I went to a cross somewhere it's not like I got rejected I just you know I and he's saying I appreciate yeah. you coming right. and it's like how do you right. get your head around that it's like oh, Lord, I, I didn't do anything other than what hundreds thousands yeah. of other people have done over the years and some never get to have a moment like that right, right. where they hear that sort of response. And it's not that the Lord does not, but for whatever reason, God let me be there in that moment that that group of young people. And then I, I start playing back to his voice and realized for the first time she was speaking in perfect, in perfect Kentucky. <laughs> not just English but not Kentucky just English English. <laughs> Kentucky English you know the order you know because so many right, people if English right. is not the first language there's a reversal right. of the nouns and the verbs she was speaking with a Kentucky accent in exactly the way <laughs> I mean can God baptize somebody in the Holy yeah. Spirit and give them Kentucky you know we uh, we had a uh, a young lady we had a young lady that was here her husband was a truck driver and so um she was actually the, when we first came here to pastor and we moved down here we owned a house in mount vernon and so uh through where i worked at at the time i'd met this woman's husband and he asked if uh long story short we rented her and her kids a house so they were pentecostal and we're looking for a church 
and um, and so they drove down here and um, and so she started coming to church just not very long um, but was here in one morning <clears throat> and so one of our ladies uh, just a local southern Illinois girl we had a message in tongues she gave a message in tongues and so you know music stops service all comes to and she gives this message well the young lady uh, that I had been renting a house to was from Portugal and so she asked uh, it's real quiet uh, Sister Debbie got done with her message in tongues we're quiet and waiting for interpretation and this young lady from Portugal raises her hand and says pastor um, does this woman know Portuguese and I mean I I thought I knew the answer but I didn't want to so I said I I don't this is all happening a church full of people Debbie's up here the other ladies back there and uh, <clears throat> she's and I said I sister Debbie do you know Portuguese and she goes no I'm not not even sure what you're talking about and the lady said <clears throat> Yeah. So, yeah. So the lady said, uh, she said she just spoke perfect, perfect Portuguese. And she said, I can tell you exactly what she said. And she delivered a wonderful message. And, the, and, I, and I told the folks, I said, do you all realize what happened here? Not only did we have a message in tongues with interpretation, but we had God ordain this that on the rare occasion of us having somebody from Portugal here at the church somebody spoke in Portuguese I said that you can't get any more in control of the environment than that right there that that's I mean God at so many levels and I mean, and I'm sitting there here in our little Southern Illinois Thompsonville church. We've got a woman from Southern Illinois and the Spirit speaking in Portuguese and a woman from Portugal here to hear it and interpret it. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's, you know, and, 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 and I agree with you. Those, those things need to be experienced and they need to be shared and told, they, they you know. Because so often our young people. Satan launches all sorts of assaults right. on them. And they need to have experiences somewhere that are so supernatural yes. that you know that any fair minded, reasonably minded person would say, the only explanation yeah. I can give for that yeah. is it had to be a God somewhere. You're sharing that story. We were doing a camp in Kentucky. And, um, and we're praying with kids for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Little Filipino missionary's kid. Now, the kid himself, his mother was Filipino, his father was American. So he grew up in this. So he knows, you know, he knows Tagalog. Now, there's 107 dialects in the Philippines, but he knows Tagalog, which is, and he's sitting there, standing at the altar, and he's tugging, you know, at the jacket of his couch and saying, hey, hey. You know, go away, we're praying. Hey, hey, I know what he's saying. And he begins to translate wow. as this kid from the hills of Kentucky. Yeah. You know, he barely speaks English, right. you right. know, and he's speaking fluent Tagalog 
and giving praise and glory to an honor to Jesus and to add to this this missionary's kid had been struggling with the reality of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and so he not only is there bearing with everybody else but God is confirming to him you know this is real buddy you actually know what yeah. this guy is saying so and I, I told that story for years and so did the state youth director and wherever he would travel he told that story of because I said we read those things yeah. we read them in some of the books of the past right. I said but our generation needs to have the generation that follows us right. needs to hear those stories god still does that you know and and they need to hear those type of stories you know that uh yeah this is stories yeah love the stories um i gotta share okay no i didn't have to record you're gonna you're, you're, you're gonna what? hold that anyway well, well, pastors yeah. heard this in fairfield during the the big outpouring uh, one night just during worship now marvin didn't get to preach it was during worship and as you know i'm somewhat of a glory lightweight that pastor saw it i fell flat on my face right here one night and and uh uh, that's okay I enjoy it but do you remember the little stage and the drum was off to the side you probably alright so the Holy Ghost hit me and boom I went down and I was laying there I, I mean lifting my hands while I was laying down praising was touching the drums basically and several times I tried to get up but I heard Marvin pray over me again and I would go right back down several times and several times I it was Marvin's voice and the last time what I heard Marvin say was just stay there so you don't get in the way and I just lay there for about 40 minutes while God was doing other things and afterwards I talked to Marvin and I said, man, why do you keep praying for me? And he says, I didn't. I said, why do you keep saying just stay there? He says, Paul, I didn't. I said, you told me to just stay there so I don't get in the way. He said, I promise you, I said nothing of the sort and it finally hit me. The Lord was speaking to me, but he was doing it through Marvin's voice so that I would not freak out. So, yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I think sometimes we, um, especially Westerners, you know, we're with our, uh, you know, Anglo background or whatever, and I might get be too getting too much into the weeds with this, but we we sometimes really struggle with accepting that supernatural side of things we want everything to be logic everything to be in in its order and in its place and one of the things that um, has been a struggle I think in a lot of us and why it's a continual fight generation there it's it's just almost in our nature to try to explain away or push away 
that stuff that doesn't fit in our boxes. And so it's going to be until the Lord comes, probably a continual fight. But but the truth is, supernatural realm should be part of the life of the New Testament believer. Even, and we'll say things like you're saying that right there, and the skeptic, not just outside the church, but even in the church would say, well, why did God do that? I don't know. Why did God use a donkey to help Balaam? You know, I mean, why did God use birds to feed Elijah? You know, I mean, there's there's just that aspect that instead of always. Now, I, I get it that we need to try the spirits and make sure they're of God. But we've got to be careful that we don't take that to the point that we will overlook what God is trying to do. You know, and and even in the realm, what we've really stepped into lately, uh, Brother Live and Good in this church, um, and and in the Salem church as well. When I talk about our churches, a lot of times I'm meaning them together. We're two separate locations, two entirely different dynamics, but yet we're the same spirit, you know. And so, uh, but what we've really been led of the Lord into recently, <clears throat> I preached a message on on uh, on. Uh, Rahab and um, I started to say Rachel I'm like that ain't it but on Rahab and um, and then even in the woman of the well but one of the things that we in both of those scenarios has been very brought out by the spirit um, is how God will use people that we probably wouldn't have used and you know and, and don't get me wrong I am totally in agreement that every church should have a somewhat of a standard i mean there has to be a standard to regulate human behavior and that and you know and i get it but i also know that sometimes god doesn't operate in our standards and we have to be wise to that we've got to be uh you know because you look at rahab you know this was a woman by every metric would have probably been disqualified by any of us to be used in a mighty way but but god not only chose her saved her redeemed her but used her in the bloodline and the lineage of our messiah and so many others great people of god that come out of that bloodline um you know the woman at the well you know i mean man you talk about uh you know they've been married five times and the guy she's living with now is not her husband i mean even in our contemporary age when marriage is you know like i I said that the other night you know like hey um you know in today's world that's not uncommon you know i mean there are there's people with more than five marriages but even at that looking at it from the standpoint now will that person qualify to be in ministry nope you know, I mean, they're going to be now. And, but yet God not only saved that woman, but used her to break into an entire city and group of people to, to take the message of the gospel to. Yeah. And, and I just think that's, you know, with us as a church, that's one of the things God is doing is getting us to start quick pre-qualifying people before we minister to them quit quit judging them and trying to say well we know they can be saved but they probably can't go much further than that you know the person that you're looking at that you may be thinking man hey praise god they need salvation but they'll be doing good just to get saved that might be the next 
Billy Graham or the next who knows, you know. Um, I want to share one other thing on the realm of supernatural, if I can. When I, again, I was pastoring in Salem, uh, had a revival going, and uh, had a district uh, revival type thing. So our church was packed at the time. We probably had in that building 100 people, 90 to 100 people, which was full in that church. And so we're, I'm leading the worship at the time and singing the old Redback hymnals, you know. So I'm up there singing, and in the back door, and I, <clears throat> I, I do not like cats. I like them fine out in the wild. I like them when other people own them, but I do not like cats. <clears throat> well, I might be a little short of that, but I'm not too far from that. So, <clears throat> But in the back door of the church, during the song service, a man comes walking in. He stands there and looks around for a minute and then starts making his way up the center aisle. And I'm watching him while I'm leading the singing, trying to stay focused on what I'm doing, but like, okay, this is looking odd. He had on a plaid CPO coat that, you know, you could tell hadn't been washed in a while. You could see cat hair hanging on it, you know. And um, and and you could just tell looking at the guy, you know, he looks like he's been staying outside. Well, he had in one hand a PCV pipe with a cap on each end, and in the other hand, he had a tree saw. Mm -hmm. And he comes walking in up the aisle. So I'm, you know, this by any stretch is like, this looks a little out of place. He walks all the way to the front of church, walks around to the side of the pulpit while we're in a song service, and then just stands there. I'm facing the congregation. He's now just looking at the side of my head, just looking at me. So I'm trapped, and I'm like, what is going on? You know, and I'm thinking, I've never read or any, how do you handle this? I don't know what to do right now, you know? So we come to the end of the song, and it, I gotta deal with it, right? I mean, I'd love to just ignore it, but standing right he's standing right here. So I, I turn and I look at him, and I'm like, can I help you? And he said, I'm supposed to play a song. And I'm like, with what? He goes, with my saw. I'm supposed to play a song. A song. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, so I don't know what to do. But I went ahead and I just said, oh, okay, you know. So, so I step out of the way and he goes to come behind the pulpit and he goes to take the ends off of this PCV pipe because I'm still not knowing how do you play a saw? So he goes, and I'm thinking, Lord, if this is a bomb and this is it, you know, I remember, I, you know, I'm coming to see you. And I'm serious. I really didn't know. I'm thinking, man, who knows what this cat's going to do? So he pops the end off of that PCV pipe and pulls out a, a violin uh, bow, fiddle bow. And I look at him, he sets the pipe down. Everybody in the church by this time is set down. And again, and I can smell cats on this guy. So as far as the physical appearance and everything, it's like, you know, this guy takes this saw and puts it up to his shoulder and bends it a few times. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody play a saw. Okay, well, you've been in Kentucky, so you've probably seen stuff like that. So I'd never seen that. This guy took this fiddle bow and he began to play. And I'm telling you, 
you could feel the anointing of God. And he started playing. He played Amazing Grace. He, he just went into a couple of songs just nonstop. And he sat and never missed a, a note. Just, just working that thing, you know, changing the pitch by bending the blade and all that. Playing that thing. And, I'm, and while he's playing this, people begin to get up out of their seats and flood the altars. And he just sitting here, he's not paying attention to any, he just focused on that saw. And by the time he gets done, everybody in that church, there may have been three people in their seats, everybody else was laying on their face on the floor, in the altars and the pews, just crying to God. The Holy Ghost had come in and started ministering in the Spirit of God. And so I went down and started praying with people and after a couple of minutes, I looked around because I was going to tell the guy, man, can you play something else? He was gone. He was not, he was, and I went around asking a couple, of, hey, where'd the guy go? And people were like, we never saw him leave. I'm telling you, nobody knew the man. I had never seen the man before in my life. Nor since. Nor since. And, I, I've, and I'm convinced to this day the one or two things I'm convinced of either he is an angelic being that had stepped in or he is somebody that's just in a special you know Elijah relationship with God and the Lord literally just transforms him and puts him and I've had I've, I've shared this with other pastors like you know come on Brian I'm like hey you believe or not believe what you want I'm telling you I will go to my grave believing that day I either entertained an angel or somebody that literally lives out of the palm of God's hand. And I and I'm and I but here's my main point of even sharing that. I was a young preacher then. I didn't know how to handle that. I've been pastoring 30 years now. I hope that today I would still be pliable and sensitive enough to allow something like that to happen because I don't think I don't think I, well let me rephrase that I think there are a lot of places and a lot of times where just our life and our experiences and our comfort and ministry where we would shut the door on that sure. and, and that guy wouldn't have that opportunity and I've even wondered was that a test was that a test for me as a young preacher will you trust me Will you let the supernatural happen? And and to this day, again, never seen the guy. Nobody's ever, nobody knew who he was. And I got to think, in a town like Salem and Centralia, excuse me, area, somebody walking around smelling like cats, wearing a jacket, playing a saw, somebody's going to know him. But nobody knew the guy. So I don't know. I, I just, uh, but I pray that today I would still be that guy who would know and be, humble enough to yield and get out of the way and say hey god take it no matter what the guy looks like or smells like mm -hmm. you know so i think one of the one of the sad indictments that can come against us in ministry is the fact that we can come to the point that all of the stories are of generations that go in our own lives and we're no longer you know it, it's the the guy who was used by god in the um, in the New Hebrides uh, or the Hebrides, I'm sorry, Hebrides revived off the coast of Scotland. Yeah, 
and 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 part of the, of uh, that journey, he's challenged by his one of his children. Does God still do that? Because he had stories of a previous, but does God still do that? And and while we cannot create, and I will tell people this, and. and uh, there are things that God does in response to faith. Okay, we understand that, that, that God responds to our faith. Hebrews 11, 6, you know, makes it very clear. So, but when I look at revival in the historical sense, there is always this huge component that it was something bigger than we could create. You know, that there's a dimension of God in that thing that you can't create. There's no sense stressing over it because you can't create. I, I was, this is not in any of the books. Um, I was just at a conference oh, three weeks ago. As soon as I arrived back in the States, I was at this conference. And, and I'm supposed to prepare a white paper for this conference. And it was to be, I was to read it, it was to be between 10 and 15 minutes long. And, um, and my topic was this, in 25 plus years of extended meetings, of preaching in meetings, it became extended meetings, what have you learned? You know, what are the most significant things that you've learned in that time frame? Let's see if I can pull them all up. I, I shared six or seven. I said, and number one was that. I said, you have to catch the wind. You catch the wave. You don't create the wave. You don't create the wind. It's the wind of the Spirit. He sends the wind. I said, really good sailors, it doesn't matter which way the wind is blowing. They can catch the wind and they can you know, set their sails in such a way that whatever, whatever way the wind's blowing, they still go where they need to go. Now me, I'm, you know, I'm out there drowning somewhere, but, but I said, revival, you don't create the wind, you don't create the wave, you catch it. And I said, and the challenge is often we have failed to catch it. You know, of Jerusalem, Jesus said they missed their day of visitation. I said, now, I don't like that verse. I said, but the reality is there are places where God attempted to send a wave and they, they missed it. Now, often God is merciful, gracious, and another wave comes. But there are times, you know, that we, we miss Says so, so you don't create the wave, you catch it. I said, if it's something that I created, then I have to keep it going yeah. in terms of what I can do, yeah. you know. And so somewhere in here, I have to understand, I didn't create this, mm -hmm. you know. It's not me. Not me, yeah. you know. And, and my job is just, just caught the wave. You know, he sent the wave, he sent the wind. And, and I said, the, the second thing I said is, and related to this, I said, it's, go with the flow. I said, an outpouring, if there's a phrase that we have picked up, it's flow, bro, flow. And I said, because there are moments that the Spirit moves in a way that is unusual. And we can say, but that's not, that's not my plan for the night. That's not how I want to do this. And, and I, I told people, I, said, I rarely go into a service that I don't have a plan. You know, right. I said, I'll have two or three sermons, you know, right, it's like, right. you know, I've got to, I said, but it's 
there are moments that you just had to go where the flow's at. And uh, I'm thinking of a couple of times of, of that out of so many stories. But, but when I was, uh, we were with the outpouring team from Terre Haute and a group of others, and we were in Ireland. And we were using two preachers a night, which that's insanity, but we were doing this. Okay, so we had two or three preachers a night. And we had a couple of guys there from the Philippines. And so Keith Taylor was leading, you know, our team on this one. And so he's in charge of the meeting. And something is happening in the service. And I can, I knew Keith well enough at this point to know that he's struggling because he's sensing something, but he's feeling, I've got these two guys who come from the Philippines to Northern Ireland. You know, and they're and, and they've come with anticipation. They're going to get to preach, etc. And and they're on for tonight. And I finally just walked up behind Keith and quietly said to him, nobody else even heard me. I just said, "Flow, bro, flow." The two Filipinos never touched the microphone. Keith went off on something. It broke the thing wide open. Now the two Filipinos ended up. It was it was fun watching. I'm watching a Filipino and an Irish and an American preacher, the three, they're praying for people together. And they were having the time of their life. God, the Spirit of God was exploding on people, but it wasn't, you know, the plan, it was flow. Yeah. So I said, so first of all, I said, in revival itself, I said, he sins, and all you do is catch it. Yeah. I said, but then in any given service, it's where is the flow at? Yeah. What is he doing? We're in a service. This had to be in Western Kentucky a few years ago. And it had been, been really significant meetings. But this was a Sunday morning service. It was, I think it was our last Sunday morning. I think if my memory is correct. And the song leader is leading something and he, and he catches it. And it is, but then he changes songs. And it changes the atmosphere. Now the pastor's already said to me, I'm not going to introduce you this morning. You know, at this point, they know who you are. Right. You know, and I don't want to get in the way of what God's doing. So, and when the song leader, worship leader, changed the songs, I got to my feet, walked up behind him, didn't say anything loud, but very quietly said, when you get an opportunity, go back to that other song. Yeah, right. He finished where he was at, went right back to the other song and immediately whoosh yeah. he comes again and the, I didn't preach that morning it absolutely explodes when the you know, ministry people in prayer flow yeah. where's the spirit flowing and I think that's one of the biggest challenges and for us in a western world we want God to give us the explanation first yeah. and then we may do what he asked us to do right. But it, we wanted to make, we want the truth and then the spirit. Yeah. I said, now I wouldn't push this too far, but in the order which Jesus used those words, he said, spirit and truth. And I think there are a lot of times he moves by the spirit and then later gives us the understanding. But there comes that step of faith and you're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. I told a story at this conference in the paper. I told this story of I was I was pastoring a church. We had an evangelist and had a singing group there. Now the initial plan was a tent meeting, and I knew the singing group would do really well under a tent. So this evangelist, well, 
things came unglued, so we didn't have the tent. So we're inside the building, and singing group is ministering in song, and this evangelist jumps to his feet, grabs the hand of the lead female singer, and he starts skipping around the auditorium. And I'm thinking, that is weird. I said, when I had the strangest impulse, and I found myself on my feet, grabbing the hand of the lead male singer. And hand in hand, we're skipping in pursuit. Two of my four deacons, the two quiet ones, jumped to their feet, ran to the stage, grabbed the hands of two more members of the group. Now it's a seven member group. We grabbed the hands of four members of the group. We skipped two or three times around the auditorium. Seven of the skippers are shouting, rejoicing, worshiping God. One of the skippers is desperately praying that the media will not come into the building. <laughs> that would have been me. That would have been you. <laughs> I'm praying, oh God, do not, let, do not let the media come in here. We finish skipping, stand in the front of worship a while, and serve. I'm like, what? After the service, this group sits down with me and says, we need to tell you something. They were in the greatest crisis as a ministry group they'd ever experienced in their life involving four members of the group, not all seven, just involving four members of the group. Want to guess which four? Now, I said people, ask me why God decided to break something open in their lives while skipping around an auditorium. I said, somewhere in skipping, God broke into these people's yeah. lives and the breakthrough happened. I said, now, yeah. I'm not starting a skipping doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> okay? You know, in fact, that was my third, right. one of my points. And the thing I said, I've learned, I said, you never create doctrine in the middle yeah. of a great revival. Yeah. I said, all due respect to our friends in the Jesus Only movement, right. that's what they did. Out of a camp meeting, an unusual thing that God was doing, they took a moment and made it a doctrine. Right. And it said, and you do that, you get into trouble. I said, as far as I can tell, Jesus only made mud one time yeah. and put it on a guy's eye. Yeah. I said, but I said, I could start a skipping doctrine. Yeah. Right. And so I'm telling that well, yeah, story. The laughing doctrine. The it, it all happens. Yeah. You know, all this stuff. Yeah. So I had a preacher come up afterwards. He says, I got to tell you my skipping story. Yeah. I said, okay. Deliverance ministry. Okay. From Africa. Moved to the States. And he said, one of the very first times I was ministering in deliverance, I felt like God said, put oil on your hand in the form of a cross. And he said, and, and he said, and this demonic person said, put your hand up like this. He said, and I did, I said, see the cross. And this demonic guy reacts, belongs to a short, deliverance takes place, it's awesome. The guy thinks, I've got it. I know the pattern. <laughs> he, said, he said, the next demonic person, I put a anointing oil on my hand on the cross, see the cross. He goes, Nothing happened. <laughs> he said, the guy kept coming. See the cross! See the cross! You know? 
I said, you got to understand. You catch yeah. the flow. Yeah, right, right. What's God doing now? You you understand there are moments that God does something, and he doesn't always explain it. Kerry Robertson, who was the senior associate at Brownsville, said this to me one day. He said, signs and wonders. He goes, I believe that's a sign that we wonder at. <laughs> wow. You know, it's like, God, why'd you do that? Right, right. And all we know is God was in that right. somewhere. Right. And why? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I called Kerry one day because I'm praying for people this night. It's early on in the piece. And, and, and somebody said in this church, Pastor said, that group wants you to pray for them. I am at that moment holding on to the communion table just to stay on my feet. Yeah. And I can't get to them. And I don't know why I did this. I just turned and looked at them and waved at them. And all of them hit the deck. Yeah. And I'm standing there staring at that. And I'm going, why that happened? <laughs> so, so I called Carrie the next day and said, okay, you better explain this one to me. And I described what I was feeling, you know, physically. And what happened, he said, oh, he says, sounds like you were waiting in the glory. I said, I'll do him what? <laughs> and he said, he said, the word, Hebrew word for glory literally means weightiness. And the Greek word means weightiness. But it's just a Hebrew word. He goes, and we have found that sometimes when the glory of God comes, it comes as a weight. And, and I got to think about that. I said, I grew up knowing that. I never thought about it. But you would describe, did you feel that atmosphere? There was a weightiness that came into that auditorium. He said, what you're describing to me, so when we talk about the river here, he goes, what you're describing is what we experience. He goes, and it's like a weight around our legs. And sometimes it gets deeper. We can barely, and he got in the hole. I said, I can't create that. You know, one night in New Zealand, we have finished, okay, you, you talk about the low glory tolerance, okay. In New Zealand and other places, I have been told you have HGT. And I said, okay, what's HGT? They said, high glory tolerance. They said, the rest of us, we're wasted, and you're wandering around the building, you're praying for people, God stuff is happening, we can't stand up, you're, I secretly and stupidly said to myself, that's probably true, you know, been around a while, done stuff, seen stuff, probably got some high glory tolerance. So we finished the meetings for that series in New Zealand, and we're a couple, three nights before we go home, we've gone out with the pastor and his wife and a staff pastor and wife to eat. Gone back to the parsonage, and we're just sitting there telling Jesus stories, okay, revival stories. And it said, and what always happens when you tell stories, he comes. Yeah. So we're sitting there telling the stories, the, and, and the pastor's wife, she's over the corner laughing like a hyena, which is totally out of character for her, so she's gone. I had said to the pastor, can you tell us that, that vision God gave you? God had given him a vision that I've been trying to get out of him for some time. He can never tell it. He get to a certain point. So I'm trying to get him to tell the vision. He's struggling. But then he says to me, pray for us. So, okay. So I pray for the wife. She goes off. I pray for him. Out he goes in his chair. And he is wasted. The associates and and I don't know why, I, I had this moment that I knew, if I don't leave this house right now, 
I'm not going to be able to leave. Now, why I thought I had to leave, I don't know. But just, I've got to leave. So I, I walk out. We're staying in a little apartment about 150 yards up their parking lot. And so I'm walking up there, and by the time I get to the door, I'm in the chicken walk. You know, <laughs> you know sort of deal. Those of you, you know, who have seen chicken walk, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm doing that, and, and Linda catches me at the door of the, house, of the, of the apartment. And uh, we go in, and I said to her, I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep. Because yeah. this time I'm still just... So I said, and it's dead of winter in New Zealand, and they don't heat buildings the same way there. You heat the room you're in. That's the only thing. So it's cold in this flat, except for the little heater in our bedroom. So I said, I think, let's go to, go to, go to bed. I'm just going to sit here and read my Bible, which was a mistake. Because now... You know, I lay there all night long, shaking, jerking, just the whole night. I don't think I slept two, three hours, you know, that night. Get up the next morning, and I said to Lyndon, we are going to walk our four miles today, which we were doing every single day. And so we walked. We walked the slowest four miles we'd ever walked because I couldn't walk any faster. We get done, and I say to people, the spirit of stupid set in, and I said, I am going to run four miles. Now, I was running four miles on a regular basis at that time in my life. I get about two and a half miles in, and I'm done. I'm down to a shuffle because of what I'm feeling on me. I'm still feeling the, I shuffled my way for a mile and a half back to the apartment, walk in, collapse on the couch. When Daniel describes these things he's feeling and he has this encounter with the angel, I say to people, I understand that. I said, I'm not Daniel. I said, but I understand now what, and I said, I'm laying there, I'm, all this stuff is going off inside of me, you know, and I hear the Holy Spirit say this, high glory tolerance. Huh? And then I heard him say this, if I pull back a little bit more of what's between you and me, you can't handle it. Now, I never felt it was condemnation. And what I felt, no, it was correction, you know, but I felt this sense of him saying, but someday, someday. Now, I know that someday in heaven, you know, John 17, we're going to see his glory. But my sense at that moment was he wasn't saying just someday in heaven. You're going to. And it's, and I can be all wet with this, okay? But I, I still believe that there are things that God is trying to prepare us for that we haven't seen yet. Um, I personally think that dur- during the pandemic, the number of people that I've talked to who have described to me what God's dealing with them. Now, a lot of pastors who are burned out, and in one sense, pandemic was good for them because they had to get shut in with Jesus. It's also been stressful. Sure. You know, I mean, you know, if you, <laughs> I've said to people, if you're a pastor, 
and whether it's the mask, the vaccine, service, don't have service, whichever way you come down. If you take one side, you don't have any faith. If you take the other side, you don't have any love. I said, you can't win. I said, pastors are in an absolutely no-win situation in this thing. So it's incredibly stressful. It's tough to navigate. It's tough to navigate. And I said, but in the midst of this, I've had more of my friends saying to me, it's like God's dealing, and I felt that person still feeling that, that God's been saying to me, there are things inside of you on a personal basis that I'm dealing with. There are things that, okay, nobody else may think that it's a big deal, but I do. And stuff that I want you to let me change inside of you. Now, I tell you, this is just a side note. I said, when the pandemic first hit, and we went with about 50 days or whatever, pretty much locked down, and uh, no services. And I said, in that 50 days, all of my prophetic friends were getting a word from God. <laughs> all of them. God was talking to them. So I said, so what I got was 50 days of silence. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, all my prophetic friends, and I got 50 days of no word from God. And when those 50 days were over, Linda and I were going to Cross Tabernacle, first public service, there's gonna be a prayer meeting. And so we're driving in for that service, and I felt like I heard the Spirit say this to me, you don't need a fresh word. The word that I've given to you is still the word that I want you to share, but you do need a fresh wind. And I think, you know, it's not that we need a new word. You know, it's the same word, you know, and yet he calls it a new word. It's a new word because it's fresh for us at that moment, but it's not a new having never been, you know, declared. It's his word. And sometimes I get a little uncomfortable with people. Everything is always this, this new revelation. God has never before, really, never before? done this yes, he says there's, nothing new, there's under nothing new under the sun yeah but i said we do need these moments where the wind blows fresh yeah. on us i like that i like that and that to me is more uh spiritually and biblically a more accurate way to put that it's not that it's always new um you know i had a young minister uh, that i love and have tried to help along the way and first this Several years ago, he kind of went through a time where everything, I got a revelation, I got a revelation. And I just set him down one day and said, listen, you, you're an adult, so you can do what you want. But you got to be careful because that word in the, in, in the Pentecost charismatic circles, to me, is extremely overused. And the problem with that is when you overuse something, you cheapen it. Yeah. And I believe in revelation. But at the same time, I believe that anything that is re revealed today, it's, it's not a revelation as though it's not been there. It's in the Word. Right. It's a revelation to this generation. It might be a revelation to you or I individually. It's revealed to us but we got to be careful because a lot of times people are running around and they're talking about revelation Revel god's giving me a revelation we have a revelation and and so much of that it's like that's that's not 
revelation. And then, then we deal with the aspect that a lot of it just turns out to not even be. And one of the things that we've been uh, trying to be mindful of as as these as we're moving towards revival in this church is to try to disassociate from all of the static noise out there in the church community that that um, in fact in a lot of ways we've been careful at times i've even told people i don't even know that this is a revival as much as it's a move of God, you know, it's it's a fresh wind, like you're saying, yeah. and it's it, but it's for now. It's something that God yeah. is doing, and so we've been aiming in this direction for probably two years now, and then the last year, really more pointedly, uh, we went through a season. We've we, you know we've got an evangelist here at the church, Brother Greg DeGrave, and uh, and he's been. Uh, you know, we've had a long series of revival services and it went to even um, where we were doing one, the revival once a month, you know, and uh, different times we've adjusted <clears throat> as we went on, but it's been long term. But but again, it, it's not even been m as much of a revival in the traditional sense of a revival mm -hmm. as much as I feel like it's been preparing it's been getting the foundation ready. It's been leading people to hunger. It's It's been getting us in the place we are right now for whatever this is God's getting ready to do. And I think you're going to be a big part of that. Um, but it's, uh, we are in different times. We really, to me, we're in biblical times. Mm -hmm. You know, we are in, I believe I, that we are in the last days. I truly do. Yeah. But I believe there's such a shifting and a sifting going on even in the body of Christ, let alone the world. And and I think it's important that the local congregations get a good handle on where we're at right now and what we need to navigate these last days because I don't think status quo is going to cut it. You know, I think we need to be revived. You know, we need to be refreshed. Um, I don't know what's your take on that. I, I love the expression when Jesus said spirit and truth. And 25 years ago, for us personally, now I grew up in this thing. Okay, my father was an Assemblies of God pastor. I got saved a lot of times as a kid growing up, okay? and uh, But about age eight, it really, really took. And filled with the spirit by the time I was 11, called to preach at 12, started preaching when I was 17. So I, I should do better than I do with that, you know, that. So a lot of stuff that I've seen, and stuff I saw in, say, Brownsville, et cetera, was not foreign. Yeah. It was not something we saw every week, right. but it was something we saw. You, yes. You know, it's not any, like people falling. I'm you know, you. Right. we'd see that. Sure. You know, people shaking. Right. You know, we'd see that. You know, so it's like, you know, and so it's like, okay, um, but became where there was something different mm -hmm. with it yeah. so I, I grew up and, and was you know in, involved in ministry with that but I began saying to some of my friends is spirit and truth emphasis on spirit because at some level in the 80s into the 90s in a lot of Pentecostal churches at least in the, in the circles that I was familiar with we had a lot of great preaching 
going on. Some really good, biblical, solid preaching, but we were not all that familiar with the work of the Spirit. And he, ha and he had to do it certain ways if we were going to accept it. Right. And then when he showed up and forgot to ask us for permission and start doing stuff, yeah. you know, and suddenly we, and we had to say it's spirit and truth, emphasis on spirit. Yeah. I said, now, I have found myself a few times in more recent years wanting to say to a few people, it's spirit and truth, emphasis on truth. Because they have become so, you know, spirit that now there's very little foundation. You know, we we were aware of, and I will not give the guy's name, but a ministry in New Zealand that the guy actually was quoted, said to a friend of mine, oh, I don't read the Bible anymore. I'm beyond that. You know, so I said to my friend, well, he's beyond me then. <laughs> he's, he's, he's more spiritual than I am. I, I said, but this guy actually was saying, I don't need that because I get direct revelation you know, from God, so I don't need. And I'm like, you know, that's a train wreck waiting to happen somewhere. So I said, and, and so one of the points I also was making in that paper was the function of fivefold is not to give people titles. You know, it's, that's not the intent. But it's the understanding that these are anointings that complement. I said that we need, and I, I've used this illustration for years. If you tell, if you tell fivefold, it, as individuals, take the hill, military, take the hill. I said, tell a pastor to take the hill. He will ask you nine times out of ten, minimally, what are my casualties? Now, he wants to take the hill, but he's wired by God to be a shepherd of the sheep. His first concern is the people that are his charge. What is this going to cost us to take that hill? Tell a teacher to take the hill. The teacher will give you five ways you can take the hill. The teacher will never take the hill. But all five ways will work. Why? Because the teacher is wired by God to see those. Tell an evangelist to take the hill. He's halfway up the hill. <laughs> He's leading a charge and has absolutely no idea where he's going. Right. And very if, concerned of the casualties. Very, <laughs> if he should accidentally take the hill, he would not know what to do with it. <laughs> Tell a prophet to take the hill. Yeah. He will kill half of his own army. Yeah. In the process, he may take the hill, right. but he will kill half of his own side. Yeah. I said, so what do we need? I said, we probably need an apostolic type of person who helps us to understand we all need each other. Yes. That the pastor needs an evangelist to say, you know, we really need to go win somebody to Jesus. Right. But then the evangelist needs a pastor to say to him, but what are you going to do with him? After you get him saved. <laughs> right. The the teacher, or no, the, the prophet needs the teacher to say to the prophet, can you show me that yeah. in the book? Yeah. 
But the teacher needs the prophet to say to him, yes, but how is the spirit applying that today? I said, and when I understand that God doesn't give any one of us all of it, he gives each one of us a portion of it because he wants us to be dependent upon him and in relationship with each other. And so God doesn't give me. He said, I'm not going to make you a one-man band. I will give you a portion. I'll give him a portion. I'll give her a portion. And as you're submitted to my lordship and submitted to me, the, the total will be much greater than the sum of the individual parts. I said, but what we have done is we have looked for the title to slap on somebody or to impress somebody with. But if we can, I said, I don't have any issue recognizing the way God uses them. I've got some friends that it's clear they're apostles. I mean, they're, you know, they're prophets. I guess some I think are apostles. They're, and I have said to a few people more recently, I know for years we had a threefold ministry, almost twofold, pastors and teachers and occasionally evangelists. We don't discuss the other two. Now, I move in circles where in some places they have a lot of emphasis on apostles and prophets but they almost put down pastors and teachers. They'll put up with evangelists because they don't want us to do with them. But the prophets and the teachers, they put down the, you know, the pastors and the teachers. Like, wait a minute. You still got threefold. You just changed the three around. You know, at some point, that still doesn't improve. We still need all five of us functioning, flowing together. So I tell this illustration. In the early days of the outpouring in Terre Haute, it started out as a three, little three-day meeting, okay, that, that I was preaching. And on day three, the pastor said, can you go another day? We went two more. And I had done a meeting in that church in the late 90s that had gone seven weeks as a part of a larger 20-week meeting the church had had. And I said to the church on day five, I said, you know, this thing has gone deeper in five days than it went in seven weeks, you know, 13 years ago. I said it was, Linda and I left to go to Germany to speak at a conference over there. We're supposed to go from Germany on to New Zealand, but in the providence of God, we could not get a ticket to circum, you know, around the world. We had to come back to the States and fly from the States on back to New Zealand. So the pastor in Terrell rings me in Germany and says, is there any way that you can come be with us again this Sunday in Terre Haute before you? What he didn't tell me was what God had told him. What he said to me was, I don't know anybody who's been in more of these type of meetings than you have. And I would just like your take on what you sense. And, I, and I, I called the people in New Zealand and said, this is not going to make any sense. I can't explain this. It does not make sense. But I'm going to ask you to release me for my commitment to you so I can go sit in a church on a Sunday morning. I didn't even preach that Sunday morning. The pastor told me, he said, I don't even know if you're going to preach. I said, I said, that makes no sense. I said, the only thing I can say is this. I had this deep gut level 
that says, if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. And I said, you didn't need any discernment on that Sunday morning. I said, the pastor preached. He waited until after the sacred departure hour, you know, because we've got to beat the Baptist to Bonanza. And he waited until after that to give the altar call just to see what would happen. And the entire church, 90 plus percent of the church, hit the altar. Somewhere around 2 o'clock, he says to the church, we're going to have services again tomorrow night. And it was all on. And then I began to understand why God, you know, why I had that gut level that says, if you don't do this, you're going to. But in the early weeks of that, everything flowed through me. Yeah. In fact, I don't think Keith remembers much of the first six weeks because he spent most of it underneath the seat somewhere. <laughs> you know, I don't, he is be out, you know. I just I don't think he remembers what happened. You know, I don't think he even knows if I could preach. You know, those first six weeks. If there was any prophetic word, I gave it. You know, I'd prophesy over people. You know, and all the, and then about six, eight weeks in, Fred Aguilar walks in does not tell us what he finally told us. A year and a half earlier, he had nearly died from a surgery gone bad. He's a year and a half in recovery. So he's out of ministry. He's done. You know, people think he's retired. He says health is broke. He can't pastor. But a year and a half earlier, he has a vision that he's told nobody. And he sees Keith Taylor's face. And the Spirit of God says to him, I'm preparing a man to lead a revival in Indiana and beyond. Fred told, the only person Fred told was his wife. And for a year and a half, they prayed about that. He goes, and then he said, I heard something is happening in Terre Haute. Michael and Linda are there. He said, I knew the types of meetings you guys have been seeing. I knew what God had showed me. He said, I said to my wife, I have to go over there. And she said, of course you do. He said, Michael, when I walked in, you looked at me and you said, Fred, I've been waiting for you. He goes, I in the Spirit knew what God was saying. He said, I've been waiting for the gift that God has placed on your life. What none of us knew at that point was he was a 10-year-old boy his church, Southside Chicago Hispanic Church, had a three-year revival. He, as a 10-year-old boy, they would run 400 on a Sunday morning, 800 on a Sunday night. Wow. Preachers from all over the region would come and they'd say to the pastor, I've come for a prophetic word. He would say, I don't have one, but one of our kids will tonight. And if none of the rest of them do, there's a 10-year-old boy who will have a prophetic word for you. And Fred would read their mail to these preachers. And God was, so I asked Fred, what's this? I said, Fred, what happened? He said, pride got in the way. And it brought that thing to a close. Fred went through a basic bit of a dark season in his life. Comes back to the Lord. Becomes a pastor. I'd known Fred for years. Anointed as a pastor, as evangelist. You know, executive, you know, regional overseer sort of deal. But I never knew about that season when they called him the little prophet. 
But he came into those meetings and suddenly the spirit of prophecy would be on him. And we talked about the fact we all got what we recognized what we called the look. You know, you would just see it come on him. And I would say, you have a word. He said, yeah, whenever. I said, and he modeled how to be a prophet in a move of God. He wasn't pushing. He would just say, oh, whenever, whenever you feel. And I said, and when that's, and then God brought Kenny Knight in. And so two of them, but what one guy wasn't doing, the other one was. I said, and the prophetic lifted off of me. As like God was saying, I can use you. The anointing can rest on anybody. I can use you that way. You're the B team. But now I've got the A team here. This is how I use them primarily. So, and I said, and we begin to learn and, and, and when fivefold began to develop in Terre Haute, it was not a plan. God began to bring, and I remember saying to Keith one day, I said, I'm not gonna call this a prophetic word. In hindsight it was, but I just said, here's what I think is going to, here's what I sense. God is gonna add other voices to this move. I said, right now it's been my voice, the voice of an evangelist in this thing. Or some would say, yeah, well, you're not really a pure evangelist. We don't know what you are. But, but I said, God's going to bring in other voices. Yeah. I said, and he did. He began to bring in apostolic voices, other evangelists, began to bring in other voices to round it out. I said, because I said, they will carry things that I don't. And it's going to be bigger, you know. And I said, in fact, I said, my voice will become less and less and less and the day may come that people will say whatever happened to that couple what, what was their names uh, Linda and uh, what, what was his name he said that's not going to happen yeah now I have a role there yeah. and Keith has said it he said as long as somebody asked him about the conference he said Mike he said, I don't know who's preaching other than Michael because, because Michael will always you know, be behind the pulpit somewhere in this conference because were it not for what God did through him, none of this would be happening. He goes, there will be that. But I'm not the primary. It was Keith that God was going to. And somebody said to me one day, they said, thank you. I said, you're welcome for what? <laughs> you know? And they said, you have allowed our pastor to step into who he is. Because he knows you got his back. Right. You've got that. You've got him covered. Right. And you're not worried. And you're not worried. Because you're comfortable in who you are. I am. And, and Keith said one day, he said, this was Michael's meeting. Yeah. And he could have insisted. And it would have been a good meeting. But he was willing to let it go. And God made it bigger than any of us could have dreamed. And God has taken us to places that none of us could have envisioned yeah. that we would go to and allowed us to see things. Now, it's also created, I think, a greater hunger, a greater awareness that, Lord, as much as you've let us see, we had this feeling we've only scratched the surface of what is potential. I was praying as we were, as we were driving I've really been, Linda's really been stirred over the last 
two, three years. So we make most of our drive time prayer time. Yeah. We just, I, I drive down the highway speaking in tongues. You know, I, I tell people Linda s speaks in tongues too, but probably for different reasons while I'm driving, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but I said it's become very important for us. It's uh, the mobile chapel. And, uh, but while I was praying today, and, and I've been just wrestling with this. Okay, it's, it's this, we can't stress, we can't strive, we can't create that which God wants to do. I can cooperate with Him. I can try to catch what it is He's doing, as we talked about earlier. And if we're right that there's a dimension of stuff coming, then there are things He has to prepare us for. I have a friend of mine put it this way. Early on, he said to me, Michael, here's my prayer for you, that God will save you from you. And every now and then when I see my friend, who he spent 25 years in Afghanistan as a missionary, and I say to people, he knows things about the Spirit of God that most of us don't know. You know, he, you know, I said, we get word of knowledge sometimes in a service. He would get it to survive. Right. You know, right. leave, leave this room. Right, right. Leave that room, missile hit it, right. you know, sort of deal. So, and Lord God and Joseph and Mary. Yeah, you know, it's sort of, of yeah, so it's like, but he would say, my prayer, so I'll say, hey, keep praying that. Yeah. Keep praying that. Because we can become our biggest threat yeah. when God begins to use us. And so I sometimes remind myself, God, you used a donkey once. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the Lord said to me, the very first time we were going to the Philippines, I've been invited to go by Filipino mission, by our missions to the Philippines. And before, about 10 days before we were to go, I get a phone call from this missionary who says, you need to call um, Jim Horvath and you talk to him. He's just been here and he needs to tell you what he saw. So I called Jim, said, yeah, I said, we need to talk. And so we do. And he's telling me these phenomenal stories. And I'm listening, I'm having two reactions. Probably just going, wow awesome like 10% of a town getting saved you know sort of deal I'm going awesome my second thing I'm going oh no I can't do that I don't have that type of anointing God why are you sending me to the Philippines I don't do like that why don't you send him back I'll stay here in the States I'll preach his meetings. He could go back over there and preach my meetings. It's a win-win. God was not impressed. <laughs> so I said to the Lord, why am I going anyway? Why, why do you want us to go? Now, God actually responded to me. Not at the exact moment, but a few moments later, I'm walking out the door to go to a service that night, hand on the doorknob and heard him say, because you are so average. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, I said, it gets worse. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, thanks, Lord. You know, <laughs> couldn't I be a little above average? I'd have to be top 10%, but could I make it it's like the top? Average, but so. Average. Yeah. Yeah. So average. <laughs> I said, it gets worse. Because then he said, and when you get there, I want you to tell them that. I'm thinking, right. 
You want me to say to them, you just brought a speaker in from the other side of the earth and he's average. And the Lord said, I want you to tell them that what they're going to see while you're there is what they're going to see in their lives and ministries after you're gone because it's not about you, it's about me. When we got to the Philippines, first two nights of this conference was absolutely miserable. 1,500 people under this tent, about 40 people responded to a salvation altar call the first night. They're, they're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm thinking this is, we're dying. The next night, about 40 people is so tight. The third night, the MC gets up. They sang one song congregationally. He brings the choir up, and the choir sings one song. And I tell people, I am not evangelistically speaking. This was the worst choir I've ever heard sing in my life. So if I have one congregational song, the choir is worse than the congregation. And the guy gets up and says this, we have brought the speaker in from the other side of the world. We want to give him plenty of time to minister the word tonight, and he gives me the service. And I'm walking toward the pulpit thinking, what am I going to do with this service? This isn't ready. And I hear the Spirit say, have them stand up and worship me. I said, now that is not profound. You know, that's pretty simple. We all do that. So I said something like this, you know, folks, for a bird to fly, it takes two wings. For this service to fly, it will take the wing of the Word of God, and I will preach in a few moments, and it will take the wing of worship. Would you stand with me? And can we lift our voices in worship? And they tried. Yeah. Three minutes, and it is dying. <laughs> and I don't have any other direction. And I said to them, I said, can we extend it another minute or so? My wife was sitting on this side, and it was like a wind came down the stairway up to the mountain road above us and hit right there. And right around Linda, 15, 20 people just erupted in worship. just, And then suddenly, in that corner, and then over there, and then over here, and then over there, and suddenly all over this tent, and for 30 minutes, I'm standing there holding the microphone, mouth shut, just watching. This erupt all over the tent. Right, right. And then the Spirit says to me, now, give the altar call. <laughs> and I'm saying, uh, Lord, I haven't preached yet. Yeah. You know, in case he had not noticed that. <laughs> And he said, give the altar call. Right. I said, Lord, this superintendent said I was going to preach. I want to be submitted to him. He's difficult to work with. He doesn't like Americans. I don't want to become an issue. Give the altar call. I gave a salvation altar call. And something like this, there are people under this tent, you don't know Jesus, you've never met Jesus. 
There are others in this tent. You once knew the Lord. You've walked away from him. And he's speaking to you by coming back to him tonight. There are others you're doing things Jesus would not do. I mean, that is just about the altar call. And I opened the altar. I counted 400. Wow. The missionary counted 600 yeah. that responded. Just <laughs> hit the altar. Just And after we prayed with them, I preached for 10 minutes and gave an altar call for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And about four or 500 people came up. And I'm like, uh, I can't lay hands on that many people. <laughs> so I said, I need every pastor, because this is a pastor's conference, so I'm trying to figure out why I got that many hundreds of people at this pastor's conference. And I said, I need every pastor under this tent that you are filled with the Spirit and you're comfortable praying in tongues out loud to come. Fifty. <laughs> I got 500 people. I got 50 prayer. I'm like, Lord, I don't have enough altar work. And he said, I know. And what I want you to do is stay on the platform and stay out of my way. I shared for a few moments. I said, here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, I'm going to have you just begin to lift your voice and worship the Lord. And I'm going to begin to pray in tongues. And after I pray in the Spirit a bit, I'm going to say something like this. In the name of Jesus, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And these pastors are going to wander among you and lay hands on you. And when they touch you, God's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. On the inside, I think, Lord Jesus, this is better work. <laughs> In the next 10 minutes, it exploded. And after a while, the Lord said to me, okay, nobody is watching you now. So you can go pray for a few people. I walked off, I touched one person, and 15 people hit the ground speaking in tongues. It was just one of those. The next night, 600 to 900 responded on a salvation altar call. The conviction was so intense that night. I'm preaching. I get to the end. I give the invitation, and my, and my interpreter is on the, the ground, weeping. And at this point, I don't know. Is he overcome by the Spirit? Yeah. Is he under conviction? You know, I, said, I don't know what's going on. All I know is I've got hundreds of Filipinos running at the altar and my interpreter is no longer of any use to me. And, uh, oh, I should back up the night before when all this is going on. You know, I was going to ask Linda what she was sensitive. She's over there. I'm like, yeah, big help you are. But I saw the assistant superintendent the state of Indiana that I'd taken with me to preach the mornings yeah. was watching me. I most moved. I said, what do you sense? He said, you're not going to preach. Give the altar call. I said, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. You know, give the altar call. But this night, about 900, the next day the Lord said to me, now you tell them what I told you. Yeah. You're average. Yeah. And this is what they're going to see. And the stories we have heard, not just of that night, preachers from the years that followed, yeah. the stuff they've seen that yeah. God did. And I said, and God takes me back to that moment, time to time, you're average. Yeah. Don't get impressed right. with yourself. You're average. Yeah. I said, somebody, so I had a pastor, I say, you are not average. <laughs> I said, listen, when the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty God says, you're average, 
you are average. That's awesome. It's like he just said, I just checked out the entire universe. Yeah, yeah you're average. I said, but what are the possibilities of what God can do? And so I try to never let myself get impressed right. with me. The one you were just talking about there with, you know, God telling you, you're, you're just, you're so, you're just average. So average. so average, yeah. And I think, so two things real quick on that. Number one, I think that's one of the issues, again, with Western culture church, is that we, I think, in our generation have what I call celebrity ministry now. And, and I don't mean just guys on the radio or t television. And I mean, even in local congregations, a lot of pastors, it, it's almost like they try to be a celebrity. And, and I think that we need to get back to that understanding that, uh, you know, one of the great things about the Pentecostal movement, the spirit movement, you know, Holy Ghost movement, um, is that it didn't happen through the uptown churches and people it happened with the people in the lower rungs of society economically and socially and as and everything you know and so i think that that was built in our dna that humility that hey we know who we are without god and it ain't pretty but as we've progressed over time and we've uh moved uptown and you know got uh, climbed the ladder we've sort of developed into where some of those same trappings and you can get where guys think hey it's about me you know we've had revivals before where people have showed up and the holy spirit start moving and you could just sense that the evangelist was in the mindset hey i don't care what else happens here i'm preaching and it's like that's a wrong that's a wrong attitude you know exactly so so we we uh we really have adopted, and Brother Davis will share, you know, back me on this, this whole concept of five loaves, two fish. You know, and, you know, we're a, we're a, uh, a we're just a church. We don't have the best of everything. But what we do is bring what we have and totally give it to God. And what we've seen in that especially through the pandemic and then through the rounds of sicknesses and stuff you know there's a lot of times with the worship team that we do have we'll either have people missing and i mean key people you know key uh, musicians key singers this that and the other and you know what we've learned don't panic don't freak out just we take what we have in the moment and we submit it to god in prayer and say okay god we're going to give you what we have it's not enough. We don't have enough. It goes back to what you said earlier. The, the it's greater than the sum of its parts. You know, if so, it's like okay, here we are. We're short on whatever, but it's yours, and we ask you to bless it and to use it for your glory. And then, man, time and time again, we'll sit and just watch God and the services, the worship, everything. And it's like, how did that happen? Well, it happened because of God and. Um, you know, I, I love that what you're saying. Hey, God told me, you know, just in case I forget, I'm so average. You know, I'm nothing without the Lord. And that's really, um, but the great thing about that is that means that all of us so average people, you know, we have hope. 
if we'll give it to God, then we can see and be part of things that are so much greater than we could ever do on our own. So, 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 several years ago, I, I was trying to decide how I wanted to say this. Um, a friend of mine from New Zealand, I saw his name come up on a list on, on, on the internet and something about a meeting he was preaching in a, at a Methodist church in Southern Illinois. And so I rang him and I said, what's going on? And so he told me a few stories, no hype, you know. I, I say some people learn how to use good adjectives, you know, and it doesn't mean a thing, but it's a good adjective. He just was telling me stories. And so um, I made the decision, my wife and I were, literally were 20 minutes from this meeting to the next location. It was like, I don't have to drive, you know, it's just a short. We ended up driving hours one way to go sit in one night just to see what was happening. And after the service, the pastor said to us, can you come over to my house? So we walked in, sat down, and he looked at me and said, well, I said, well, what? Is it? I said, is it what? Because is this the real thing? He said, because Craig said that when you got here, you would better tell us. I said, Pastor, the only thing I can tell you is this. God himself has chosen to visit your church. I said, I didn't have to come in the building tonight. I said, when my wife and I pulled our car into your parking lot and I opened the door to get out of my car, I said, the presence on the property. I said, Do I understand all the crests and the troughs of revival? No. The more I know, the less I know. I used to hear preachers say that years ago, and it annoyed me. But I've come to appreciate a certain reality in that, that, you know, it's not my first rodeo, if I use that language, so there's some stuff that I've learned but I'm also very much aware of how much I don't know. And you know, the sense that we were using that earlier, that preparation. Um, I've said to people, so I, one of the things Linda and I purposed years ago was to be as transparent as we could possibly be, both as a pastor, knowing some things you can't, but as be, and as evangelists, to just be as transparent as we could possibly be, because if we were dealing with stuff, the probability was somebody else was dealing with it too. And that if we, at whatever level you want to view us at, were dealing with stuff, then somebody else is struggling as well with that thing. So we just said, let's seek you know, to be transparent. So that which we're learning, you know, share it. That which we don't know, you know, share that. I've watched times where I think we have tried to orchestrate, we've tried to maintain in our own ability that which God was doing. And at some level, we can't. We cooperate with Him. We yield to Him. We allow Him to flow through us. Uh, but it's this recognition, this is bigger you know, than we are. And if it isn't, then it's not big enough. And if 
if our end-time theologies, and I'll say to people, I don't care whether you're mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib, post-millennial, amillennial. You know, I don't care where you find yourself. Most people believe that somewhere in there, Scripture promises a significant in-gathering to the kingdom of God, a harvest. It's my contention that Jesus, that God did not send Jesus to the earth for 10% of the earth's population. Statisticians tell us in the next, what, short number of years, more than one half of the people who have ever been alive on planet earth will be alive at the same time. Now, if that's accurate, what a time for God to send the greatest revival of all times to usher in the greatest harvest of all times. But if he's going to do the types of things he wants to do, and if he's going to use humans, that's you and I. If he's going to do that, then we have got to be in a place where he can trust us with it, where he can allow certain dimensions of his anointing to rest upon us, where he can come into our places with his presence. I... I, one of you talked about cheapening, you know, and I, I think we've done that. I think there's things we've done to cheapen. I've heard people describe something as the presence of God was in that place. I want to say, no, it wasn't. <laughs> right. You know, the anointing wasn't bad, but that wasn't, you know, um, or the glory came. I'm like, I don't think so. Because in Scripture, when I see moments where the glory came, you know, there was a bit more of a reaction. You know, Isaiah's, woe is me. You know, he's scared to death. I mean, I mean, the children of Israel, Moses, you go up there and we'll go over here somewhere. I mean, I said, it's like, it's just not this cheap thing that takes place. And yet, moments when Peter's shadow would heal the sick. You know, and, and moments that, that God's given us an idea of what that could look like. But wholesale? No, we haven't. You know, I've seen moments when people come into a building where I was preaching and have said, what's going on in here? Every time I drive by this building, I feel something that I don't feel anywhere else in this city. Right. You know, we've had them come in, you know, not during a service, come in and say to the staff, what's going on in this place? Why? Because just when we go by, one guy said, he said, there's a reason that we want to get all of our meetings done in that church. He said, because ever since revival hit that church, he said, and the atmosphere has changed. He said, we get a whole lot more done in our meetings. You know, it's like, but if this is going where God, I think, wants it to go, I think he's got to do stuff inside of us. And I don't know that I understand that. You know, I said to a young guy last night, I'm not done. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready to, you know, uh, turn in my passport. <laughs> I'm not ready to quit traveling and preaching. But I do recognize that there is a possibility that I will finish my journey and pass the baton, the microphone on to somebody else, and they're going to take it. Now, I personally think that we're in the last of the last days. I live with the expectation of the sound of the trumpet. I live with the sense 
that there are things that God's given us a glimpse into that I think is to prepare us so that when he does the even bigger, but if that's not what's going to happen, that's okay. If that's not, you know, I just want to be faithful doing that which God has asked me to do as long as he gives me the strength and the energy to do it. Now, for those of you who've been uh, tuned in, listening to us share stories back and forth, um, real people, real stories, and there's a possibility that there is a story that has your name on it. You may not even know that that story is there for you yet. The number of individuals over the years that I've met who've told me, Michael, you are not even aware of this, but I was in a meeting and you are speaking, and this is what God did. I want, I want to add my invitation to whether it's in Salem on Thursday night, the 24th, at Regeneration Church of God, or whether it's on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in Thompsonville at the Church of God. I want to add a personal invitation. I'd like you to come. Uh, in, in a sense, this is coming home for me, okay? Uh, because I'm from Southern Illinois. I grew up, graduated from high school in Robinson, Illinois, and so when I'm in Southern Illinois, and and and, um, and, and I felt this, uh, Paul Davis, when you're talking about Fairfield earlier, uh, I remember walking into Fairfield and said to my wife, "I'm home. I'm home for two reasons. One, I recognize the presence immediately, but secondly, I said I'm in Southern Illinois. I'm I'm home." I'm in the people that I grew up among. These, these are my people. And so if I could be allowed to use that language, oh, God's let my wife and I, you know, travel in places that blow us away. But for us, this is, this is still my home, Southern Illinois. And so I would, I'd love to have you guys come. I'd like you to be in the meetings. Join with us. Let's see what might happen as we come together to seek the face of God. And could I... For those of you that you know Jesus, can I ask you to do something? Can I ask you to invite two people that don't know Jesus to come with you? Listen, as I, as I give you this invitation, I got to do it in a story form because I do everything in a story form. I was with a team of people ministering in, in the city of Manila. We were doing a citywide multiple locations. The last night, we're in a 10,000 seat arena. And, uh, and the pastors, this was a ticketed invitation only. The only way you could get in the building was have a ticket. So pastors had given to their people three tickets each, one for themselves and two to give to people that did not know Jesus. Now there was 10,000 people roughly in that auditorium. When the salvation invitation was given that night, 6,500, give or take, responded to the Salvation Altar Call. Two-thirds of that auditorium. Was that legitimate? Listen, I'm sure that there were some people that had tickets who were Christians who cheated. I'm sure of that. And they needed to answer the altar call to repent, okay, for having cheated. But the reality is there were a lot of people in that building who came because a friend gave them a ticket and said, would you come to this meeting with me? And when they did, the Spirit of God spoke to them and they made a commitment to Jesus. In, those, in these days together, 
and regeneration and to Thomasville, we're going to be doing our part. We're going to be praying. We're going to be believing God. We're going to be preaching. Will you partner with us? And often when you hear preachers use the word partner, they're talking finances. That is not what I'm talking about. Would you help us? Can we labor together? Because there are people that you connect with that don't know me. And my stories don't mean anything to them. My name doesn't mean anything to them. When we said that I'm average, I'm also basically unknown. I was preaching some meeting with 15 weeks and somebody asked me in the church, who's preaching? Because I don't know, some unknown guy. Okay, that's us. But they know you. And would you invite your friends to come with you and let's see what God may do. I've loved sharing these stories with you. I want to share stories with you face to face if you'll let me do that, okay? Bless you guys. We'll look forward to seeing you soon.